about to yes. play the song. Oh man, I'm so nervous. Me too. I know. People see me, but they just don't know. That's what I told you, Kevin. People see me, but they just don't know. People see me, but they just don't know. John Sands. <laughs> Yo, what up? My name is Lisa Barnes. My name is Papi Chudo. AKA. Cola Champagne Poppy. AKA. Poppy Two Tops. AKA. Jose Guadalupe Olivares in the building. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's podcast. Happy to have you. You know, we're always happy to have you, but I don't know why today it feels special. I gotta say, I think we're gonna have a good. Yeah. Guys, I just want to put this out here. I think we're gonna have a good show tonight. I, I agree. You know, I agree. And there's only there's only one way to start a good show, and that's by playing what's, what's on your mind. mind. <laughs> Can I just say I love so Yo. much Aziz's echo? <laughs> It's true. I know, yo, yo, and, and like, this is something that I'm trying to just, like, completely fall in love with, is that I'm going to mm. be offbeat when, when mm. I'm on the phone with y'all, and mm. you have no idea how it hurts my soul to be offbeat, but I'm, I'm falling in love with it, I'm going to embrace it. I like it. I don't, I don't think that you're offbeat, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if, I think if anything, you know what I mean, like... John and I are on the one and three, and you're not. You yeah. know what I mean? I think it's. <laughs> I kind of. I don't think of you as offbeat. I think of you as doing your thing. There you go. You know what I mean? Like you're doing your own thing. That's true. That's very true. And you're an individual. Yo, my barber calls me an individual. He's like, oh, I like your hair. You're a real individual. Damn. You know, can I? I think that's fine. I think. My barber is like the one person I do not want to call me an individual. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think there are some. Oh, go ahead and do that. And this it maybe cheats one of the questions that we're gonna get later, but like being an individual is similar to being called a slam poet. It depends on who's saying it Ooh, to right. make me understand how I feel about it. Yo, that's uh, <laughs> that's called foreshadowing. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna get there in a second. You know what I mean? But uh, okay. you know, uh, Aziza, Aziza, tell us, yeah. tell us what's on your mind. Yeah. There's just a, a large population of 
population of armadillos. And I've been researching the armadillos, and I found out their one um, defense mechanism. And it, it really disturbed me because it's like the worst defense mechanism I've ever heard of. Oh, I can't and wait. So I think it was just like rolling up in a ball. But their defense is that, like, right, they jump four feet and then they get hit by the car, and that's their defense mechanism. <laughs> right? So I've been thinking about that a lot. Is that their one defense is to jump high enough, just high enough to get hit by the car. And that, that's been fucking me up a lot. So you're you know, saying. If they yeah. stayed on the ground, the car yeah. would pass over them. They'd be safe. Exactly. Wow. Because they have little tank bags, so they probably wouldn't have even been, you know, affected. But their one thing, the one thing they got through all of, like, even prehistoric revolution, evolution, was just jump a little bit, just jump a little high. Wow. And they didn't account for the cars, yeah. Wow. And um, the last thing that's on my mind is, right, so I was, um into only a mind and they were trying to tell me something about a white bear who is not a polar bear but is a white bear and there's like supposed to be some other name for them and my homie was saying like yo it's um it's a it's like a magic bear or like a love bear and so i've just been trying to figure out what kind, what's the name for this bear without researching it on the internet now i think that's a cop out so if any of y'all in the world can figure out what the white bear is that's not a polar bear's name, that, that would be a great boon to me. You could just email us that, and that would be fantastic. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Help Aziza out, you know? <laughs> we're all curious. Yeah, now I want to know. I didn't know that yeah. there were white bears that were not polar bears. Mm-hmm. Also, with the, with the armadillo, not to bring it back, yeah. does Tim Siebels have a poem about this armadillo? <laughs> And if not, can you write to him and ask him to write one? Because I think it would really be helpful for all of us. I have, I have I more thoughts about the armadillo. I really, I really want to talk about this. <laughs> I know we said we would go quick, so I won't. But let me just say the word cicada, and we can keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Jose. Cicada. Yes. What's on your mind? All right, y'all. Uh... So, I just finished reading the book Sula. If you haven't read it, it's a book by Toni Morrison. You need to read it, really. You are fucking up if you have not read it. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about Sula, because Sula is a character that I'm so drawn to. It's so uh, charismatic and magnetic to me. Even though Sula also does a lot of things that, you know, could be, you know, are... Are things that I do not approve of. You know what I mean? Like, for example, kills a young boy. You know what I mean? Accidentally, but like, regardless, does it, right? Uh, and so, I, what I've been thinking about with the book is there's in particular a scene where Toni Morrison writes uh, that Sula's the type of person that in a pleasant conversation might say, might ask you, why do you chew, why do you chew with your mouth open? You know, not out of meanness, but as just to see what your reaction might be, right? And so I'm thinking about these moments where these scripts that are are so ingrained in us have sort of been trained into the way that we behave become broken. Uh, And I'm thinking about that in part because, like, one of my friends just told me this really... uh, I thought it was hilarious. This really funny story about uh, a time they went on a Tinder date, and the date... (laughs) 
uh, was not going anywhere. You know what I mean? There was uh, <laughs> there was no vibe. Uh, and so they they did the nice sort of gentle way of ending the evening. They were like, "Yo, this was really great. I'm gonna give you a call soon, but I have some friends that want to meet up with me. I'll see you later, right?" And the other person in this interaction, instead of like kindly <laughs> kindly bowing out, was like, "Are you really gonna text me back, or is this the end? Because you should just you should just fucking say that if you're gonna do that." Oh man! And by breaking the script. Like, force my friend to, like, become present in that moment, right? And, yeah. so, my, and so my friend was like, yeah, of course I'm gonna, I, I wouldn't tell you I'm going to text you back if I wasn't going to text you back. Uh, which, of course, my friend was lying. <laughs> yes! But I, I, love, I love that moment where, where the niceties are dropped and, and people say what they want to say. And I, and I, and I wonder about... And, I, and so anyway, I've been thinking about that. That's on my mind. I'm thinking about how to break scripts. I'm thinking about that with art. I'm thinking about that uh, in personal relationships. I'm thinking about the value of niceties. And I'm thinking about the value yeah. of breaking those niceties and really saying, you know, what you want to say. So that's what's on my mind. But don't you think... Yo, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Aziza. Hmm? No, you go ahead, John. Don't you think that, like, I guess... When, when, someone, when you witness someone else break a nicety, you're having a conversation that follows a particular script or way of doing, you know, way of doing that conversation that's like, we're going to say these things and then we're going to go on with our lives and not text. And they're like, but are you really going to text? I feel like that does, like, make me present. But in my best self, it makes me be like, oh, now we're having this conversation. Now I kind of have to tell you, no, if you are, if we're going to have it if we're going to have the uncomfortable version of this conversation, yeah. I probably am not feeling this and I'm going to yeah. leave, you know? Yeah. At which case, if the person like is like, well, fuck you, you know, then I'm like, all right, well, now I'm definitely going to leave. <laughs> and like immediately. But uh, you know what I mean? Like it's hard when someone else breaks script and then you like there's one word version where you answer them and then there's one version where you are just like, pushed further into the script which is like of course yeah definitely I'm, I'm definitely gonna call I wouldn't have said it. you know like right that's a good point you know I, yeah I, I don't have any answers you know what I'm saying I'm just this has been on my mind because I'm, I'm aware of the way that I can fall into scripts you know what I mean like if someone yeah. like tells me some shit that uh you know, if they ha- if they're not having a good day, I can I, I know that there's a script where I'm like, oh no, tell me what happened. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm and I want to be more present, and and I but I also see the value in those scripts. You know what I mean? I think there's we we see so many people and we have so many interactions in a day that there's value in being able to kind of autopilot a few of those, and you don't want to like. Nor do you have the time to really, really fully engage with every single person that you come across. It's just impossible. You would end up, you know, you wouldn't make it to the train station. You know what I mean? In a city like New York, if I engaged with every single person I saw between my apartment and the train station, I'd I'd be like, oh, shit, it's noon. It's time for lunch. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then I'd have 25 more conversations at the lunch counter. Uh, But I I do, I do, but I, I... 
I enjoy it. I enjoy it even when it happens to me. Even when I have to lie further or when I have to be like, all right, do you want to know the truth? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to call you. This was mediocre. I think uh, we have a mediocre connection. I'm sure you're great. Good luck with somebody else. I'm out. You know what I mean? Because I'm also drawn well, to the honest moment. You know what I'm saying? Even in those hard conversations, I'm drawn to the honest moment. Yeah. And that's the thing of it, Jose. Like, I, I love, like, you're pointing that out because those moments, even when they're uncomfortable, like, I think especially when they're uncomfortable, there's something, there's some, I wonder if your friend was, like, kind of compelled to text them if they were, like, present enough to say, are you actually going to do that shit? Like, that's really telling about someone. Mm. If they're going to, if they're willing to ask kind of a stranger, like, yeah, I don't think you're really going to do that. Like, I don't know to call you on your shit for a second. It's yeah. like, I think you're trying to give me a slick brush off. But all this reminds me of very much as like um, being a 17-year-old version of myself. And I went on this really horrendous... This, this is the moral for me. This reminded me of this. Uh, I went on a really horrendous date uh, wherein I thought the, the dude uh, I was going to go out with actually turned out to be another dude just saved with the same name in my phone. a person who is otherwise probably not that interesting becomes so much more interesting. You know what I mean? Right. Because the ability... That actually makes me, like, kind of, like, swoon a little bit. Like, oh, wow. Like, look at you. Like, you are not who I thought you were. Like, you are someone else entirely. <laughs> like, great. Now, maybe you should have let yeah. off with this. <laughs> Unless they're trying to make you feel bad. Yeah. You know what I'm it's saying? Like, mm. just, just I mean... Not that that's what you're saying, uh-huh. but I know that there's like a version of that where it's like, wait, are you saying that we're not going to talk? Or there's a version of that where like, if you're not going to call me, you just should say so or something. You know, like, and that doesn't feel, yeah. to right, me, right. that feels like I'm not going to call. Right, right. I wasn't going to call, but now I'm like not going to call. You know, in all honesty, in either case, I'm not going to call, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I appreciate Yo, that you had the courage to, to not just accept this, but to, to really call me on my shit. Like, don't let me go easily. I kind of like that. Anyway, that's on yeah. my mind. It's the lightning round. Uh, tweet us <laughs> your thoughts. <laughs> uh, John Sands, what's on your mind? Uh, so what's on my mind, I'll make it super quick, only in relationship to this, you know, like, conversation of scripts. There is a saying that I still don't know if I fully believe, but it's always intrigued me. Uh, and uh, a poet named Jeff Kagan Trenchard, who uh, probably some of you listening know, and obviously Hossein Azizi, you know him. He speaks, uh, I, I've heard him say this in like multiple Q&As. Uh, and it is, 
that it would be re- that every person in order to get through the day has to be many different versions of themselves. And he says basically that being a different person in different situations is not a negative. And that basically he wants to make sure as long as every person that he is, and this is a dude who's like both a lawyer and a poet and a teacher and a father, uh, in addition to a lot of other, I think, you know, roles that he plays. And he says, basically, if every one of those versions of you would get along and co-sign the actions of the other one, then you're doing pretty good. But if you're two different versions of yourself and one of them would deplore the other version of you, that's a sign that uh, you probably aren't living your best life. Mm. Uh, and I think about that in terms of the clothes. You know, like who you, are, who you are on a first date is very different than who you are when you are, you know, reading a poem to an audience or when you're hanging out with your friends uh, or listening to your favorite song. And, I, you know, I think that's like a worthy goal. Actually, now that I'm talking about it, I agree with it. Jeff, it's taken me a long time. I agree with this statement. Uh, <laughs> uh, having said that... Let's, uh, let's jump into yeah. this question. Y'all, so this is a very special episode for yeah. us, yeah. Uh, which we've been wanting to have many special episodes of late. Uh, but we've uh, asked you in the, in the previous you know, kind of months and weeks whether you had any questions for us, and you have responded. And we've loved your questions, uh, and we don't you know, propose that we are the authorities on uh, poetry or life, but, right. you know... We're going to do our best to give you our opinions. That's true. All right, uh, so we're going we're gonna to jump into this. Perhaps we should say um, many of you sent in multiple questions, and we loved all of your questions, unless you are Adam Levin, in which case your question, <laughs> <laughs> you only sent in one question, and it was a very bad question. <laughs> and we're going to get to it. And we're going to get to it. Uh, that's my homie. I love Adam Levin. Uh, but anyway, uh, some of you sent in multiple questions. We, we chose one of your questions so that we could get through every single person that sent us questions. So if you have multiple questions and we only answer one, um, <laughs> now I'm thinking about the conversation about scripts. And I'm like, is this a script? Uh, Please, please don't take it hard. It's not a reflection of the quality of your questions. Really, just a reflection on uh, the amount of time we have and what is a uh, manageable podcast. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. And yo, thank you to everyone who submitted us questions. Yes. They were very fun to roll yes. through. We're only thankful for all of them. Agreed, one hundred percent, absolutely. All right. So, first question. Fisaya Mojis yeah. wants to know, once you started writing, how long before you went on tour slash wrote a chapbook slash book, etc., or started getting features, did you feel ready? How long should one be making their bones? Nowadays, it seems anyone can do it within months when OGs <laughs> of the past had to perform poetry in nightclubs just to get ears. How they've made it so much easier for younger poets to do so. Just curious about your thoughts. What do y'all think? Mm. Aziza, what do you think? Well, yeah, yeah, I got thoughts. <laughs> um, so I feel like I, um, now in hindsight, uh, I feel like it all kind of happens to me pretty young. Um, my first chapbook came out when I was 
doing shows at colleges. And um, I think I've just been uh, in the practice of, like, redefining what the word tour means for me. Because I think you got to really lock it up before you, like, try and do it. Um, I know that, like, uh, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Acevedo, like, she tours, you know, like, most of the year she is in a bunch of different places, like, every day of the week, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, in my mind now, is what the word tour means. Tour means Mm -hmm. that that's your job, your main focus, that that's your main bread and rent bread and groceries bread and gasoline bread, like, that, if you're touring, then, like, your day job should not be upset that it's called day job. Your day job should be like, oh, maybe you don't have me anymore, like, for mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, I think that's what tour means. And I used to put a lot of pressure on the word tour. Like, if I wasn't doing it like that, then I wasn't really doing it. But for me, a tour can mean, like, oh, in a month I have four gigs. That's mm-hmm. a lot for me. Mm-hmm. That feels like a lot. And um, I feel very much, like, this past March, I felt like I did a tour because mm-hmm. I had, you know, a bunch of readings in a bunch of different places. Uh, and and really, it only added up to about four readings. Like, it was, you know, I had this reading in Dubai. I had this yeah. reading in Wisconsin. Reading hold on, hold on, Z. Z, hold on, hold on. Alright. What is that? Cool. Uh, What's that? Alright. Go ahead, Z. Word. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I, I just realized, like, this past March that, like, what I, the amount of readings I ended up doing, like, in a very different way constituted with torment for me, which mm-hmm. is, like, just four readings a month. Mm-hmm. And that's as many as I can do before I feel, like, exhausted and yeah. not like myself and just crazy. And, um, but it's enough where I feel like, oh, I had an adventure that month and I mm-hmm. sold a lot of books. And mm-hmm. I met folks and you know so I don't know I think I think it's about like curation like you gotta be able to have a tour that you like like mm, tour I? that I like okay. one where I don't feel like I'm struggle busting the whole time you know what I mean where I feel like oh I stayed at like a couple nice spots and mm. I didn't have to eat bologna sandwiches on a Greyhound bus that doesn't yeah. sound fun to me real yeah. quick so um, I like- first of all fuck the Greyhound bus one time I rode a Greyhound from New York to Boston, and it rained on me inside the bus, even though it was a sunny day outside. You know what I'm saying? And there were no empty seats, so I couldn't switch seats. I was just stuck with, like, droplets of filthy bus water falling on me. And there was, like, fucking scotch tape. I'm still angry. Fuck the Greyhound bus. I do not want yes. y'all sponsorship. That's what I have to say. The bus is hard, and it's true we won't accept your sponsorship. Uh, I also want to say, though, I think, there's, I think there's something at the root of this question that is asking from the outside, looking at other people and saying, is it okay that they are touring this early? Or is it okay that this person had success this early? And that, that to like, me... That to me, in terms of, like paying your dues, it feels like a warning sign of a question. And Patricia Smith has talked about this in Q&As of like, you know, she slammed for, for this long and then showed up inside of an academic world and it was like, 
you know, people wondered whether she had, like, paid her dues, and she was like, I did pay my dues, just not where you could see them. Mm. You know, you think about a poet like Kimon, whose episode on the Poetry God, she's talking about, you know, what she did in her own neighborhood. You know, that's a place where she was paying dues before she showed up in poetry, and I think it's easy to find yourself inside of a community looking at others and being like, Man, how did they get that so fast? They haven't done what I've done, and I think it's. E- I think it's. There's a. There's a. Even just for your own mind, it's helpful to not define yourself through what you see others achieving or doing. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess in terms of you know, it would also add like the personal component of the question was like, I moved to New York City in 2006, Mm. wanting to be a poet, feeling like, okay, I'm going to let this siren pass and start that again. It's a real podcast, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) There's Uh, real sirens out here. I moved in 2006, feeling like my poems are great in Ohio, and I love Ohio. Uh, Ohio. You know, like, and I'm going to move to New York City, and I'm going to be a professional poet, and I'm going to tour. And I remember going to Slam at the Bowery Poetry Club and getting dead last in that slam and, like, giving up writing for six months and feeling like, okay, like, I didn't get the thing I thought I was supposed to get, and so I clearly am not the thing that I said I was. Mm. Uh, And it was only in, I feel like, returning to participate in a way that was, you know, more about what uh, the formation of a community and the, uh, you know, exploration as a reader and writer of the written word, what that would do for my own personal growth and exploration, that... Mm put me in a position to receive some of the other, you know, like, professional opportunities that I've received. And so I guess there's just, like, not to project onto you what your mind state is in asking the question, but I think when I start to hear, like, is there a timetable? Should we do these things? I, I always hesitate because I feel like people are looking at others and judging how fast or how, you know, like, there are always going to be people whose work you don't like who you feel are getting things they mm-hmm. that you wouldn't give them. But in the end of the day, like, you're not the one giving it to them, and and you're on your own journey. So I, I, yeah. I hope that you continue on that journey. Yeah. yeah, and also I would say that just because you don't need that poet's work doesn't mean that other people mm. likewise don't need it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that there, that there is space for multiple poetics and multiple folks, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that more. But also... Uh, when I was 18, I had just moved to, to Cambridge to study at Harvard. Uh, I showed up at the Boston Poetry Slam thinking that I was, like, going to dominate. <laughs> and like John, I also came in last place. So <laughs> losing is also a good experience. You know what I mean? I think that was very good for 18-year-old Jose. Um, next question. Miles Yates wants to know, what are some don'ts, what are some don'ts when doing this and the best way to do it? John, you said you had uh, you had some thoughts. This is just gonna pick back on my last one. Honestly, Miles, love you. Love that you're listening to the podcast. I don't have a list of don'ts, and I'm so bored by conversations that are about all the like poetic cliches that we shouldn't do. Every time somebody tells me I shouldn't use rib cage, I want to use rib cage. Yeah. 
four of my favorite yeah. poems that I've ever written describe something as beautiful. Mm. That's, you know, like, mm. and I've heard other poems that use the word beautiful as a descriptor, and I think it's whack, you know, like, yeah. but there's no hard and fast don't that doesn't make me as a poet want to break that rule. And so I think, you know, the only yeah. don't to me is like a cliche that you're not in some way making your own or that you don't like have to use. <laughs> Uh, and so also, to piggyback um, Natalie Diaz shout out Natalie Diaz uh, she she talks about how her new thing is you know before people be like oh you already used wings in a poem so you gotta cut wings from the poem you can't use wings more than once and now she's kind of taking that as a challenge to see if she can use the same image again and again but make it brand new each time so Say ribcage a hundred times, but every time it's got to be brand new. And I think that that's a worthwhile challenge. So, uh, you yeah. Know. And I would say, I would also say, um, my only don't in the list of don't is just don't be whack. Woo! And that's Yo. a evolving definition. You retweet, get to decide retweet. what the definition is every second of every day. Don't, be, don't whack. be whack. Don't be whack. Yeah. Wait, but that doesn't mean don't write don't a whack it. poem, does it? No. yourself to like once a day maybe once a week to ask yourself is what I'm doing whack because if you're asking yourself whether it's whack every single second of every single day it's going to be hard to have an authentic moment <laughs> and not having an authentic that's moment is pretty whack <laughs> that's, uh, that's always yeah. my, my new year's resolution is to not be whack you know what I mean I have the same All resolution right. every, every single year 2015, 2016 do not be whack. Um, Aziza, <laughs> one more question for you from Miles. Uh, it says, for Aziza, top five John Coltrane songs. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I love this question. Um, top five Coltrane. That would be Impressions. Uh, okay. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Naima. Ooh. India. And... It's, oh my god, uh, the song yes. from the Love Supreme suite, that one. Yeah, so those are my Beautiful. top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, you want to you wanna holler at the, uh, at the Facebook thread? Oh, so on this young Facebook thread, we have my favorite question um, from this uh, person I've never heard of before. Um, uh, Jose Guadalupe Olivares. Whoa. Uh, and he's saying... Uh, you know, shout out to you, whoever you are. Uh, yeah, I got a question. What's your favorite T-Pain song? Which is a question I deeply adore. John, what's your favorite T-Pain song? Uh, both versions of Buy You a Drink. Nice. And what do you mean by both versions? Yeah, please tell us. Uh, you know, there's the music video 
for Buy You a Drink, the uh, the one that people are really familiar with, and then there's the one that he did at NPR's uh, Tiny Desk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is delightful. <laughs> yes, very intimate, very intimate song, the second one. How about you, Aziza? T-Pain song because every T-Pain song is my favorite T-Pain song. Um, but also because one of my favorites is the I'm a Flirt remix, uh, which I can no longer listen to or enjoy because uh, R. Kelly's on it. So uh, now I think um, I think my favorite T-Pain song is probably Bartender, you know what I mean? Mm. Which nice. features, you know, I, I just really enjoy it. I, I love singing along <laughs> with it. Uh, it's also very good to listen to when you're drinking uh, some dark liquor. So those are, that's something that I enjoy doing. So that's uh, that's my favorite T-Pain song. Nice, nice. Okay, so uh, we have we have two questions. Buckle up. These both got a lot of love. Okay. Uh, from the Facebook thread. Uh, the fir- so these are from Kerwin Sutherland. Yo. The first question is, what are your views on gatekeeping within communities that have been kept out of majority literary circles? How do we curate spaces that don't repeat the practices we deride in majority literary institutions? Mm. Jose. Mm. Damn, I'm the first one to answer. Um, I, yeah, this is, you know, Gatekeeping is something that I've been thinking about a lot because in my uh, daily work, I'm the program director for Urban Word NYC. Um, and that means that I get a little, like, I get the chance to curate some events that are on some pretty cool stages. And I think about, um, and so it, it's something that, like, I don't get to choose 10 poets all the time. I get to choose you know, maybe one or two poets to be on a stage like a Lincoln Center or um, to open a cool event uh, in the Bowery Ballroom or something. And so how do I make those choices? Um, and and I'm, I'm still being grappling with it. I, I think gatekeeping is, you know, if I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I wish I had a better answer. I think what I've been trying to do is try to make sure that I... I choose different voices, that I choose different people to, to, to take on those opportunities, that I um, am, am picking not just my own aesthetic, but that I'm trying to choose people that represent a diverse aesthetic. But, uh, you know, it's something that I think that I, that I still fail at, honestly, and that I'm, I'm still trying to be very conscious of. Um, and trying to trying to invite more people into the conversation. I'm, I think a lot about the conversation we had with uh, with Mahogany L. Brown, um, where where she talks about opening up a space and trying to make people feel welcome. And so mm-hmm. um, I think about that a lot. But honestly, I don't, I don't think I'm that great at it yet. I'm I'm working to get better. Um, what do y'all think? I feel I think, like. Um, oh, go ahead, Aziza. I'm fine. Yeah, I think that like. You know, there, there is something about 
about the word gatekeeping that sounds immediately negative, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you got to bounce at the door and you don't look cute enough or something like that. That's what the phrase gatekeeping makes me think of. Yes. But there are some, right? But there are some gatekeeping moves that, like, while they just aren't insidious, but they are a little necessary. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because I normally would be like, come on, come on forever. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just reminded of, like, you know, when you're trying to build with someone, like, as a homie, you know, just, mm-hmm. like, off GP as a friend, you don't just open up your whole house to them on the first day, you know? You, right. you get to know somebody. And I think there is something to be said for, like, a slow welcoming in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I remember, remember, like, very much meeting Mahogany Brown, all roads lead back to Mahogany Brown, you know? And, like, uh, the first time I met her, I was judging a slam at the New Year, which yeah. was, like, why? Why? Scary. And I remember she read, um, you know, like, this little thing I wrote for my judge card, and, like, we talked then, and she, like, brought me up on stage, and I felt like, okay, like, you kind of see me. But, you know, it was it was over years of building with her that I felt like, oh, yeah, I could walk into New York and it feels like family, you know, and it felt like I earned something, like I earned, you know, fam, and, and that, like, I would keep earning those relationships and, like, you know, building a community that I understood now was based on love and mm. respect and, like, listening. And I don't think I would have gotten that if it was just, like, oh, yeah, just come right on in, you know what I mean? I don't think I would have understood what the room meant if I hadn't understood, like, how to walk in it and and really been taught how to walk in it every week that I went there, mm. you know? And yeah. so I think there's, there's a way to do gatekeeping that doesn't feel like a bouncer at the club, like, and I think there's a way to do it that more feels like your favorite auntie who's just like, you know, don't put your shoes on my table, yeah. like, I think there's a way to do it. You know, I I I just think about you know the the way that the literary community and and certainly I I can be guilty of this can be clickish though. You know what I mean? Where like yeah. Every like you know, I I live in New York and in New York, you know, uh you see many of the same people reading at all the different venues just on repeat, you know what I mean, and they and those are usually and they're incre- they're good readers, you know what I mean. It's no shots against them, but I I can I I can totally understand how it can feel to be like on the outside of that that community and being like, yo, you know, Jose just read at such and such a spot. Like, why is he now also reading at this spot? And like, why like how? And it can feel like it's just people choosing their friends, you know what I mean? Versus sure, versus and I- like. And, and I, I don't and I don't know because also like I really enjoy my friends' work. You know what I mean? Like they're doing. I think I think like uh, as well. You know, part of the question is if you have an institution, how do you make space? You know, mm-hmm. and there and how do you, you know, put uh, muscle behind your curiosity for what is out there that you don't know. Yet, you know, and I think of places like the New Eureka in terms of the Poetry Slam having their rule where you could only be on the team once, and then I think it got changed to like you couldn't be on the team two years in a row, you know, so that encourages other people to come in. I think of the Louder Arts Project back in the day as a reading series would do 
like a louder edge night, which was meant to like give features to people who were on their open mic who hadn't ever read before. My mm-hmm. first feature, I think, was at that louder edge with Jeanne Verlee and wow. David Ion. Wow. Uh, and it was really it was meaningful to me and it and it wasn't a time when like everybody in New York was like reaching out to have me feature. Mm-hmm. You know, like right now. Well, everybody's <laughs> just kidding. Uh, just kidding, New York. Please reach out to me. I would love to read yes, your poems. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think uh, like, yeah, there, there's something like as an organizer where like, you know, you do adore your friends' work and you do like adore what they can do to a room. And I think like you know, what I what I like to consider in curation is just, like, how much have I been listening? Like, how much have I been going out to different readings and, like, to different yes. open mics? Yes. And, like, have I been sleeping on, you know, exploring and finding? Because yes. I think the folks that, like, very much want to be in a, in a literary circle, you know, they show up and they're not, like, while they might be shy, you know, they're not absent. Yes. And it's up to you, like, to check yourself. Like, am I listening to this room, or am I just like beelining to the homies and thinking about what bar we're gonna drink at afterward? You know, right. like, yeah. am I really present in this open mic that I'm at, or am I just waiting for my homie to feature and then dip? Right. And that's that's when that's when it's kind of on you when you're like now at the point of curating a reading mm-hmm. and you're looking back to see like, well, who have I listened to? Yeah, like, yeah. really listened to past month. Um. And you know if you're coming up short, and yeah. you know if you haven't listened. And, and that's I, a really strong muscle. Yeah. I think as a person, uh, and I've been guilty of this, certainly, uh, I'd be suspicious of yourself if you say, I love my friends because my friends are the best writers I know. Mm-hmm. My friends are the best writers in the world. I have definitely <laughs> thought that and said that, and I think even if it's true it limits potentially your ability to be curious. Mm-hmm. That might be my yep. unpopular opinion. <laughs> no, I, like I think it's true. I mean, if it's yeah. unpopular, you got uh, one one citizen of that population agreeing with you. Yeah. I agree with you, dude. Yeah, yeah I, I think y'all are, are both on it. All right. Uh, next question. We'll try to do this quick, even though it's, like, going to be really... <laughs> Good. Uh, to those, this is still from Kerwin. To those that have slammed, if you have stopped, do you ever consider yourself not a slam poet? What is your definition of a slam poet? Should this even be a designation? Do you write differently for the stage as opposed to for a book or lit mag submission? Mm. Mm. I love this question. And again, and this is where I was. This is what I was saying at the beginning. <laughs> I don't care. I love it if my cousin is like, John, man, like you, you do slam poetry, and I think that that's cool. Uh, That feels different to me than if a literary festival organizer is like, and now we have slam poet John Sands coming up. Those feel like two very different ways of being called a slam poet. Agreed, y'all. And I saw literally how differently I was treated than other poets there. 
because I hadn't realized, like, on the flyer, it was just my name. But once I got there, the way they introduced me was Slam Poet. And the people that decided to, like, you know, the people, like, at the reading earlier, when the poets were not called Slam Poets, mind you, they were all white. And I was like, okay, um, cool. And they were, like, the room was packed with all these, like, literary dudes. And then once I said, oh, yeah, and now Slam Poet, these bonds coming through, like, half the room left. Mm-hmm. They were just like, nah, we out. And it, and it's like, there, I think there's always something like very insidiously, like, you know, racial, racially degrading, like, oh, you know, you little black poets that do little slam stuff. And if it's not that, then it's also just a little following. It's like your little slam stuff. Mm-hmm. Like how John, like how you're saying, like the literary person going like, I'm the, oh, yes, slam poet. But I, I don't know. Like, I... I think with slam and whether or not I call myself that, like, I don't slam anymore. I've had someone once refer to me as a retired slam poet, which I thought was fucking hilarious. That's what you um, But it was just so strange. I, I think, like, but I don't think I ever considered myself a slam poet, you know, because I don't, I don't really know what that means. Like, I would write stuff and I would go compete for the thing. And competing for the thing was important at the time it was. I'm interested in the question of do you write differently for the stage as opposed to for the book? And to that, I would say absolutely not. I think I I found, like, the turn, because I remember slamming and doing a lot of, like, screaming and, like, begging and hootenanny, you know, just hootenanny, like, running around (laughs) getting exhausted. Um, And it it would affect the way that the poem looked on the page, but... It started to turn when it was like, no, nah, I wanted, I wanted to just be Gucci, like wherever it goes. This, this work of art, this talisman, should just kind of be able to live wherever she lives, mm-hmm. and I should be able to say it however I want to say it. Like I ain't gotta push an emotional core to get that thing. Like I, I wrote it. I wrote the emotional core. It's in the thing. Mm-hmm. And then that started to feel really good. And it just, then you start becoming, I think your work starts becoming more and more your name, like your actual government name than mm-hmm. any, like, you know, poet this, slam poet that, writer this, whatever. You're just you. And you could then start making, like, you know, music videos, and that'll still be, like, your poem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think that's rung most true. Yo, that's a what bar. You yeah. your, your writing becomes your name? That shit is, uh... <laughs> Fucking bars. I'm gonna be thinking about that. Uh, I think I think John has something he wants to add <laughs> to the conversation. Just one, yeah. maybe final note on this because I think it was answered really well by Patricia Smith in an interview with Union Station Magazine. Who was she yes. talking to? John she Sands? was talking to a uh, upstart poet named John Sands. <laughs> uh, and, My man's is but, quoting his own interview. <laughs> oh, I'm not quoting me. I'm quoting Patricia's answer. To this question, the co- the question was: You have participated in poetry. You haven't participated in a poetry slam since 1995. Yet I see you billed at times in festivals or readings as a performance poet or a slam poet. I'm usually like Patricia was a National Book Award finalist. Why would she be billed as a performer? There is also the fact that you give an incredible reading. In regard to your current participation in the canon, what are some of the challenges and or triumphs that have come with participation in communities that value the creative medium of reading poetry out loud? Patricia's answer is this. 
I'm constantly trying to explain to people that the slam is just something some poets chose to do with their work temporarily. It's a means to discovering your work, your voice, your root. It's a crapshoot, a recreational activity, the trendy, sexy thing that gets people into the seats. I wouldn't want to come up any other way, right at the beginning of it, in the midst of all that heat and chaos. But if I had known how much of an albatross it would become, how hard it would be to turn it off and move on, I might feel differently. I have to fight for an unusual position. I sit at the juncture of craft and performance, an artificial construct to be sure, but there nevertheless. As soon as we speak or write out loud, we're urged to represent, to identify our tribe and to swear our allegiance to it. The so-called academics didn't want to have to explain my presence in their midst, so I become the allowed exception. Granted, I know that many people are dazzled by the slam and performance poetry, which are mistakenly interchanged with alarming frequency, mm -hmm. but the idea that good performance neglects craft and that craft cannot be performed well is ludicrous. I guess that when I moved on from the slam, I should have automatically started mumbling into the mic. <laughs> but I learned so much coming up the way I did, and I will always care about how my poem reaches the audience. I'm gradually realizing that the problem of my categorization is not my problem. I'm ostracized and resented because I've done the work. Yeah. I've identified the best real estate on both sides of the fence, and I've lived there. I can't be responsible for the performance poets who are still crossing the country on Greyhound, sleeping on friends' futons, and performing for Pass the Hat. I can't be responsible for the Pulitzer winner who has to be reintroduced to the idea of a microphone at every reading. <laughs> I will continue to correct those who insist on identifying me one way and one way only, and I will continue to revel in the fact that, at least for me, poetry is a living, pulsing thing that deserves every ounce of my attention. It deserves to be written well, and those written words should move out into the world with fierceness and resolve. Wow. Boom. Bars. You know, to that, I, I also have someone I want to quote, uh, and that is Angel Nafis, who said, anyway, you can call me spoken word or hip-hop or whatever the fuck makes you feel better about the fact <laughs> no one falls asleep when I read my poems. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. how I feel. Also, uh... If you're paying me, you know what I mean? Go ahead and call me. <laughs> if you're paying me, call me a slam poet. Call me a spoken word poet. Just know I'm going to do a good-ass job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever makes you feel better about the fact, you know, whatever you want. That's fine. Uh, what's, what's the next question? Where should we go? I think you're up. All right. Uh, so next we got uh, Chanelle Hogan, who asks... What or who are the poets slash poems that you always come back to and why? Damn, there's so many. Um, the poets yeah. or poems that I come back to and why, I think one is um, The Forgotten Dialect of the Heart by Jack Gilbert. That's a, that's a poem that I love. Um, also, Lucille Clifton, um, Won't You Celebrate With Me? is a poem that uh, I would get tattooed in its entirety. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. right on my cheek. Like, <laughs> for the whole world to see just constantly. Um, 
what other poems do I love? There, there are other poems that stay with me that I also love. There are poems. There's a uh, my homie Nate uh, wrote a poem called Prelude uh, that is you know written from the perspective of uh, a young person who is trying to make sense of the the names graffitied onto different walls in their neighborhood, um, and that poem is is fucking haunting and, and mm. I come back to that often uh, but there's so many poets that I love um, you know uh, so there's there's a lot of people uh, Natalie Diaz, Ada Limon um, really really love and enjoy the work of uh, also Aziza Barnes <laughs> I, told, I told Aziza this I read uh, her book and uh, there's, like, a suite of poems in the middle that I, like, read, like, ten times in a row. Um, so I, I feel like there's uh, a lot of incredible poems. Um, obviously, John Sands, when he used to come through first draft and shut it down with uh, the continuing stories. I mean, look, there's there's a lot of good work that I return to. But I, I think in terms of individual poems, uh, I'll, I'll go with the three that I named. The Jack Gilbert poem, uh, Lucille Clifton. Uh, and then my homie Nate. Nice. Aziza? Nice. Yeah, um, I'm, oh my goodness. So whenever it's, okay, new way to answer this question, um, through, through the homie, the good homie Taylor Johnson, shout out to Taylor Johnson, I hey. found out about Simone White. Woo. And, um, I did not know about Simone White. And this is new. This is like, I like, I I was trying to recognize the moment when you realize that you you've met a new poet that you're gonna return to. Uh-huh. Like that kind of changes the thing. Cause right now um, I feel like my palette's changing a little bit, and uh-huh. so this is exciting. And I feel like I found someone who is just a bit remarkable. Like like in her book um, of being dispersed, she's got a poem with the title. You and me are not friends, okay? Wow. And I'm like, yes, this is correct. And she's got this one little nugget poem in here that I realized, like, wow, I'll be returning to this. Um, I never had that sense before that, like, no, I know I will be returning before. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just trying to find it right quick. And it's, it, is, it literally looks like a chicken nugget. It's so small. Nice. And, While um, you're looking for it, can I... Same yeah. Uh, so Simone White also has a new interview out in Bomb Magazine with uh, my favorite rapper of the moment, uh, who is Vince Staples. Um, please go look up that interview. It's a good-ass interview. Also, Vince Staples can rap his ass off. That's a good-ass rapper. Yo. Right, so it's just the first time in a while 
that I've like picked up like someone's work that I had no idea about and realized like, oh, I'm gonna be coming back to you as often as humanly possible. Um, so yeah, that's my answer for now on, on who I come back to. There's too many people I wanted to focus on one astonishing new person. No doubt. Uh, my Mount Rushmore is Patricia Smith, Araceli Skirmai, Willie Perdomo, Stephen Dunn, uh, and Vishwava Zimborska. Ooh, but also Ross Gay and also Pat Rosso. Mm. Uh, yes. And I'm probably forgetting a couple, but uh, yes. and Audre Lord, who I think the poem uh, <laughs> "A Litany for Survival." Many of you have heard it. If you haven't, just Google that poem because it's actually the secret of life. Uh, <laughs> a litany for survival. Uh, next question is from the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> is it you, Aziza? Yeah. So it is me. So the next question comes from Madeline Lessing. Hey. Uh, thank you, Madeline. And it, it is. What are some ways you cultivate love and community within poetry world? Word. How y'all feel about that? Uh, I, I mean, I think we're already touching on this, but I listen when I, as best I can, and if someone makes work that I appreciate, I try to let them know. And if someone makes work that I don't appreciate, I try to let it go. <laughs> Ooh, I like that little rhyme. I try to let That's it know. I try good. to let it go. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I think listening, I think, yeah, I think similarly going to talk to people when their work moves me. Um, I think also something that has stuck with me from past conversations is the conversation about chapbooks, like particularly when young poets, you know, have a chapbook. I, I will always buy it from them and that's because yeah. I want to celebrate the fact that they're that they're moving forward and and you know what I mean like I, I think that that's another way to do it so that's what I'm thinking about yeah definitely I think like you know um, like talking to people talking to people outside of like that one poetry room you know I think like a lot of a lot of poetry scenes can get sucked into like one space, but you know there there is so much. But the love that I felt has been in like the oh let's grab something to eat afterward, you know, and like really breaking bread with people. And you don't have to do it every time, but I know that like especially if I was new to a place, like being asked to break bread with some folks always meant mm-hmm. a lot. And you know. It's, it's one night. It's one night to talk to some new people. That's pretty important. And this is also coming from a hermit that I am. So mm. that's, you know, take it with all the salt that you got. But I think it's important. Also, can I just say quickly, Jack McCarthy is one of my favorite poets of all time. Mm. He's no longer, <laughs> you know, with us in body form. Uh, but you should look up his work. And he started going to poetry... Uh, or started writing poetry more than like once a year I think when he was in his 50s he went to the Boston Cantab he was trying to get his daughter into poetry uh, and he was the one who got hooked uh, he went on to write uh, you know a lot of different books and 
you know, but he also was kind of like hooked on the open mic. He later moved out to the Northwest, and anytime you'd you'd be out there, he would be like competing in the Poetry Slam in his 70s with a notepad, writing down good lines from any of the poets that he heard. Uh, and I guess you know I like to introduce him because I do feel like there's this feeling of people, that people just like weirdly look at their age and look at other people their age and try to decide whether they're like doing what they should. And I guess like I do think one of the ways to build love and community is to try your best to contextualize if someone else's successes make you feel bad about yourself and to be able to name that and say not today, you know, like not today. There are greater things that I want to be and greater things in the world because I, I do think like it would be silly. There have been too many great writers who have grown very bitter very quickly or very slowly. And it would be silly to think that you're different. And so yeah. uh, my friend Carlos was talking about this in a very different context, but he was like, everybody is the same and it would be stupid for me to think I'm different than them so I'm just like the same as them and I need to try my best to be different <laughs> and so I think not becoming bitter and like in, and becoming more loving has to be an active process and if you leave it to chance yeah. then you run the risk of being another person who grows bitter and feels like they haven't gotten what they deserve for what they've made and then that's yeah. what <laughs> uh Next question? Yes. Is it, read like the Andre 3000 one. We need a, a little poetry now. You're right. Josh Smith wants to know, what's your favorite Andre 3000 verse? All right. Well, Josh Smith, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, I think the best Andre 3000 verse of all time and my favorite is the first verse of International Players Anthem. Uh, I have it memorized. Like the Lucille Clifton poem, I would also get that joint tattooed in full. You know what I'm saying? That's how strongly I feel about it. I've performed it to open up poetry sets before because kind of like we were talking about earlier, I like to fuck with the expectations of the audience and they think that I'm going to be like a polite poet and just be like, well, um, and now here's my poem and then I like to like bust out uh, a verse. Um, but that's, to me, that's my favorite Andre 3000 verse of all time. Um, on, another acceptable answer is any other Andre 3000 verse <laughs> in the history of Andre 3000 verses because Andre 3000 is the greatest rapper of all time. That's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. Uh, what do y'all got? Uh, for me, it's, um, so, you know the, that the song Deuces? Yes. It's the Deuces remix. And um, mm. I think it was just like, some of the best shit I ever heard because I wasn't really trying to listen to that song I was like alright there's a remix alright whatever and then this man comes in and like recreates the entire landscape of the song as he is wont to do yeah. and just I don't know I, I never heard nobody on like such a regular kind of diss track like you know I'm angry and I'm angsty and deuces whatever because I I never heard anybody like really play you know and and make that shit important and then suddenly the deuces remix was important mm. so yeah man that shit made Word. a great deal of sense to me Word. John Sands favorite Andre 3000 verse uh 
Uh, man, I would maybe go with the verse that he has on Rosa Parks about the importance of creating new work. Uh, yeah, so be a has what? That would be what my brain would do. What about but your heart? My heart goes with the verse right now. Ugh. It's impossible. It's an impossible question. But my heart goes with his verse on I Do, the Young Jeezy song with with Jay-Z. That's an incredible verse. He he says, nothing's more impressive than the heavy praying woman. Two of him when those of them been defecating on me. Poets into heaven and him with him, Andre. Oh, man, baby, I'm here. Save it on real, something like that. Crazy, I'll tell you all of this in the middle of a club where words tend to get thrown around lightly, like, 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 like. Love. And friend. <laughs> and Rockstar. And so-and-so's a genius. And it's out of never utter him do unless he mean it. Her proud like her mother and mama's sweet. So you just know that juicy fruit ain't gonna fall too far from trees. So if we ever whoop-de-whoop, I want all that. Bleep-de-bleep. In that nasty carpet, Bigs be fresh on one knee. Say, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. So we can float up out of here in this hot air balloon. Let's put a baby butterfly up in your little cocoon. And maybe 2030, our baby, she'll be nerdy. Make the whole club swoon. And she'll love books and cook and look just like you. And when she's done being young... She'll dress like you. <laughs> we'll call it Love Twenty Two. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Call it Laureate of my heart. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Andre Three Thousand is the greatest. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you do? You think we might have a two-parter on here? This I, feels this, this feels like a I good place do. to uh, like an impossible task. Yes. I think we should do one more earnest question and answer. And those of you who we didn't get to it. It just means we gotta come back. We yes. gotta go. We yeah. gotta get in the gym. We yeah. gotta come back stronger. It's true. You know. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what question do you want to take? How about uh, Mega? Whose <laughs> <laughs> question is, do you think about me? <laughs> yes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's a simple. It's a simple. Do you think about me? That's a that's a very yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shout out DJ Mega. We do. All caps. Yeah. We do. Me? Think about you. Uh, think about your your DJing skills. Uh, Maybe one more non-deep question. Yeah, this one ahead. comes to us from a upstart poet named Hanif Willis Abdul Rakib. All right. He says, uh, "Hi, yes. Would very much like to know which one of you likes contemporary American writer Hanif <laughs> Willis Abdul Rakib the most." Like, not as a writer, but as a person who desperately wants approval from the poetry gods. It's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, I like Hanif a lot. I don't know. But yeah, so do you know, guys. I mean, I, I like that dude, Hanif. I like the stuff he writes. I think the that this is a... Also, that he eats ice cream and likes Waffle House sweatshirts and other paraphernalia. <laughs> I mean, it's Hanif great. is from Ohio, and I've got to say that is a really big plus. Um, you yeah, know, agreed. I, I have to say that uh, uh, the last two times I've seen Hanif perform, um, one of which was for his book release party in New York, which he invited me to read at. Knowing that I was there, he chose to read uh, a disrespectful ass poem. 
Um, <laughs> even though I was there, and he knows I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, he read this poem. Uh, let me make sure I get this title right. The, the title of the poem is... When I say that loving me is kind of like being a Chicago Bulls fan. And the first line is, what I mean is that my father can tell a bunch of cool stories about back in the day when I was truly great. (laughs) And so what I'm trying to say is that right now, you know what I mean, having gone to these last two Hanif performances and being really excited about seeing contemporary American writer Hanif Willis Abdul-Rakib, uh... (laughs) I feel pretty hurt that that he went ahead and read that poem two times, uh, knowing that I was in the audience. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of? Yeah. You, you have hella poems, my man. Like, come on, choose a. Don't do the one poem that's gonna break my heart. You know? I mean, there's a lot of heartbreaking poems among Hanif's, but like, come on, the the one that's going to personally injure me. You know what I mean? Like. What I'm trying to say is it's clearly between uh, Aziza and John, who loves <laughs> Hanif the most at this particular moment. Although, I gotta say, that feels like an act of love. <laughs> I think it did. I think it was. You know, like, you remembered it, didn't you? And now you got something to talk about, probably over some ice cream. Like, I do. hey, why you gotta keep reading that Bulls poem all the time? Yes. And he could probably be like, look, I love the Bulls, and like, it breaks my heart that they're not always actually. <laughs> Then you can go on from there. I don't care that Hanif reads the poem. I just, why does he have to read it when I'm in the room? You I mean, there are two saying? ways to look at it. There's, hey, I love Jose, and I want to bring him to this room so that we can share a type of bonding that I enjoy through ridicule. <laughs> or there's, you know who I don't like is Jose, and I'm going to invite him to my book, to read at my book release party, so he's got to be there. Yes. And then... I'm going to sun him in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? When you put it like that, I like either... Yeah, I like either of those two stories. Either way, I, 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 think, I, might, I think I might take it. I think I might like Hanif the most among the three of us right now. All right. You get it, Hanif. You get a lot of love here. So much love. But the most from Jose. There you go. Shout out Hanif Midwest, <laughs> a.k.a. the mid-best. You know what I mean? Uh... Great Lakes, the best coast, all of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. All right, so maybe one more. Like a real question for well, someone who's like. Not that that wasn't a real question. <laughs> Although I like these other questions that are not real questions. Yeah. Like, for instance, from Tim Stafford, Jose, colon, hottie, or naughty? Yes, yes. Um, first of all, uh, shout out Tim Stafford. Uh, Tim Stafford. Really dope, dude. One of my favorite people. Great poet. Uh, the answer is Nadi. You know what I mean? That's that's. I'm pretty straightforward about that. Hadi or Nadi? I'm gonna go Nadi all the time. You know what I'm saying? And, and Jose, can you tell people how Tim has spelled Nadi, just so that we they can get our phonetics on point? Yes, yes, yes. So the the question is Hadi H O T T Y or Nadi. N O T T Y. You know what I mean? So All it's right. not it's not haughty like someone who I is no haughty or naughty. <laughs> it's not it's not the the A U G H T I version of those words. You know what I'm saying? It's not like pretentious or maybe a little mischievous. mischievous okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man. Um. I, I vote hottie, just for the record. Aziza, you're the tiebreaker. Yeah. Where are you Supreme going? Supreme hottie. 
Okay, so like, I, I don't know, I don't know what this means, yo. I, I don't know, I don't know what my choice means. I think what you is do. This yeah. like? Come on, you <laughs> make the choice. Make, you gotta make the choice. It's a tiebreaker. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's hottie or naughty. Yeah. <laughs> Naughty, fam. Woo, there we go. Like Dang. <laughs> yes, there it is. I like it a lot. <laughs> Yo, I also like this game because that's two games in a row that I've won. <laughs> Both the Hot oh game God. and the Tim Stafford game. Shout out to me. What's good? Alright, one last fun question. I swear it's the last fun question. All right, let's okay. Go. Let's this go. is also right. as documented of the important question. Word. I Colin like this from Safia El Hilo. Yep, Safia. Yes. Who is on your apocalypse team? Wow. Mine I already know. It's just uh really Kathy Sands okay. uh a couple times, probably. And Maggie, okay. my partner. Uh, okay. And Jose and Aziza. Actually, it's getting longer. Wait, I don't have anybody yet who can make a spear. Uh, That's a good point. And uh, I gotta think of it. And somebody who can make a spear. Yeah, so and if you I'm can make go. beer, please holler at us. We need you on our apocalypse team. Yeah. Um, I've thought about this question. Uh, I think clearly Nate Marshall is on my apocalypse team. <laughs> Because if the apocalypse is coming, I need someone who's going to have Hennessy on them. And uh, who is more likely to have Hennessy on them than Nate Marshall? You know what I mean? Um, also, no one I know. You know what I'm saying? Also, uh, as documented on a previous podcast, I'm pretty useless at giving it an apocalypse situation. Like, I'm still going to go get my hair cut. You know what I mean? Uh <laughs> So given that, like, I'm going to need my barber. Uh, so shout out my man, uh, my man Alex at 27th Street. Yo, you're, you're on my apocalypse team. Uh, Got to stay fresh during the apocalypse. Um, also, uh, Brittany B. Capri on my apocalypse team. Because if I get bit, she will show uh, no, no hesitation in, in killing me. She'll just be like, look, Jose, I love you. But you're done, fam. You're going to turn into a zombie, and I'm going to end this right now. Wow. And I, I need that. You know what I mean? I need that type of tough yeah. love in a, an apocalypse situation. Um, I'm also going to take uh, John Sands for his hummus-making ability. Uh, Although I'm not going to have my blender. I'll yeah. do it by hand. Honestly, I can do it by hand. All right. Don't because, worry about that. I got it. I because got it. your hummus-making <laughs> ability... Is um of of high high importance, you know what I mean? I'm I'm taking the kid, my good colleague Aziza Barnes. Uh, Yo, thank you. Yeah, if if for no other reason, so that we can like make fun of like whatever's coming to kill us. But <laughs> oh, we have to. Yes. It's the only way. Yes. Uh, if I'm going to go down in an apocalypse, like I'm gonna go down laughing. Like I'm just gonna be. Uh, I'm going to have a good time, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm sure that I could, like... Is there a limit to how many people I can have on my team? I feel like, eventually, you're kind of cheating on the question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're like, oh, I just take the world. Yeah, yeah. uh, I take not an apocalypse. I'll take everyone with me. I'm taking everyone. Um... All right, all right, I'll leave it off there. That's that's who's coming with me on the the apocalypse team. Yeah, I think, um... On my team, right, so I ponder, I ponder this question most days. <laughs> <laughs> in every room I'm walking 
and I'm like, all right, who's coming with? So I have so many different answers to this question. All right, give but us your, your answer for right to, now. To try and answer, huh? Give us your answer for right now. Okay. Well, I always have to have in my apocalypse team this is a dude who has, uh, you know, enlightened me onto the various ways of thinking about apocalypse teams and various skill sets and hindrances that people have. And that would be Bosia. Shout out to mm. Bosia. Yeah, um, for the great talks we've had about apocalypse teams. And, you know, I found actually that, like, I gotta really step my game up talking about this apocalypse stuff. I gotta find a couple more skill sets, you know? Like, I gotta, I gotta beef up on the, on my knife fighting and on my, on the dillo hunting and all that. Like, I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for the apocalypse. That's the hardest thing I've ever had to say out loud. Um, but I would take both if he would constantly ask me to practice and hone my skills. Okay. Um, I would take my dad, but Craig Barnes, shout out to Craig Barnes. Yeah. Cause I right. feel like. Him out of anyone could, like, scare a zombie into not eating him. I, I feel like he has this power. I feel like my dad has this power. Like, Jedi mind trick a zombie into not biting his arms off. Um, so I'm interested in witnessing that in the, at the end of the world. Um, I would take Nabila Lovelace. Because I feel like, you know, between the two of us, shout out to Nabila Lovelace. Very crafty. Uh, we, each got, we each got a lot of cars. Uh, two cars among us, a car for each person, so that's a lot. That's and a lot of know-how on these American roads, you know, after these months traveling on them. So I feel like she's also very calm in a crisis, which I am not. I scream a lot in a crisis, so Yo, this would too. be a nice counterbalance. Me too. You know, I'm, I'm a scream. Uh, <laughs> you're a in a crisis. If you've ever watched a horror movie with me, like I am the motherfucker <laughs> jumping up and down. I like yell. I'm like, oh, yeah. I get very, very Yo. scared very quickly. And to that point, I would bring Gerard Vine. Shout out to Gerard Vine yeah. because he watches scary movies and does not flinch. So I feel like you know his resolve is already set on apocalypse, on <laughs> zombie apocalypse or otherwise moves. There'd be a lot of people I'd bring. I, I feel like well, I feel like what I need to do is hold an apocalypse team challenge where like I put all my potential apocalypse members through like an Olympics of sorts, including myself. I get to see if I get to make my own team. Uh, <laughs> I, I might not be able to make my own team. Uh, you know, I love you, but I don't think I don't think I feel comfortable trying out for your apocalypse team. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just like want to be selected or not selected. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's fair, fam. <laughs> I feel you. I know what you're saying. If for no other reason, it, that's a hard email to write to your friends. You know? It is. <laughs> Yo. You gotta have the Olympics. Talk about like jerking <laughs> the script. Yeah. Or your friends and loved ones. <laughs> you have to, yeah. As the apocalypse approaches, know that I'm thinking of you. <laughs> I'm forming my... You said it like a literary rejection. Uh, while I appreciate your effort and your friendship, unfortunately, <laughs> we are not currently accepting your type of submission, so I wish you the best with the face-eating zombies. Uh, good luck, and please lose my number. <laughs> uh, what you have to do yeah. is reach out to everybody... 
and and just invite them to like a family reunion style, you know, like friend Olympics where there are all these categories, you know, and don't tell them it's for the apocalypse, but then the categories are like I'm gonna let loose a rabbit and you have to kill it. Right. <laughs> your friends right. will be like, this is the worst or like, fine. party I've ever been to. No, but there'd be some, some people who, who would be like, just unreasonably game, would be like, oh, we're hunting rabbits? Like, I've thought about this. I'm ready. I'm gonna win this <laughs> challenge. That would not be me. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd come in drunk. I'd be like, oh, we're hunting rabbits? Like, we cooking? Like, somebody. Right. <laughs> Somebody, I can well, somebody I know that. Fire. I know that without a doubt on my team, I would need John Sands and Jose Olivares. Because <laughs> somehow we would enable to make a podcast in Yo, the zombie apocalypse. Would have to. And we would try to probably interview a zombie. Yeah, yeah. first it would probably go very wrong. <laughs> first ever interview with the zombie. Yeah. Zombies like, Ugh. you can't have an apocalypse <laughs> without some gods. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? Hey, hey. okay. That's a good place to end. What yeah. do you think? I think so. Z, you got any last words for the people? Oh, uh, yo, people, you're so much fun. These questions are entirely too much fun. Yes. You got us going on tangents and stuff. I'm, I'm just hyped to have a part two. And so thank you for giving yes. us all this stuff about. Yes. Also, you know what I mean? Now you know. Uh, Z's gonna hold a zombie apocalypse Olympics pretty soon. So yep. if you are not going to the gym, like now you have new gym motivation. There's some people that <laughs> listen to the podcast at the gym, and now you know what I mean. It's your moment. It's your time to shine. You are you're a step ahead of people for the for this Aziza's Olympic challenge. You know what I mean. You might get picked oh, for the team. God. It's very exciting. Uh, everyone else, like, please learn how to build the fire. You know what I mean. Learn how to make beer. You know what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, John, you got any last words for the people? Uh, you know, there's only gonna be one or two storyteller slash poet slots in the apocalypse. <laughs> so, I know if you're sitting there and you're listening to this, you're probably like, oh, I'm set. They're gonna need somebody to like write poems, but yeah, if all your friends are poets, you better pick up a skill. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Do Andre, yourself Andre 3000 on my zombie apocalypse scene. <laughs> Um, he probably has a bomb shelter. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Also, um, you know what I mean? Follow us on Twitter at the Poetry Gods. You can follow John Sands at uh, I am John Sands, and there's not an H in John. You already know, but there's not an H in John. No H in John. Don't no do H in John. Don't do it. Fight it. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Aziza Barnes at Aziza Barnes. Uh, you can follow mm-hmm. me at. J A Y O H E S S E E. If you didn't catch that, rewind it, play it in slow motion. Uh, that's it, y'all. We'll see you in two weeks. We're going to finish answering these questions. If um, you have any other uh, questions for us between now and then, you can email, email thepoetrygods at gmail.com. Or if uh, you know you have a really interesting idea for a show and you want to reach out to the three of us and figure out what that could look like, you should email that, that same email. Yes, uh, we're. we're booking a few shows in the spring we're looking to come out to colleges uh so if you want to have us you you heard the breakbeat poet show we did two weeks ago if you're interested in having us host a reading if you want us to do a live version of the podcast if you want us uh to train you for aziza's friendship olympics (laughs) yo holler at 
the kids were out here at uh, the Poetry Gods. <laughs> Email the Poetry Gods at gmail.com. That's it. Uh, thank you for your questions. Play the song. Play the song. <laughs> about the zombie apocalypse from now on on the podcast the poetry <laughs> the poetry zombie we apocalypse we haven't talked about that on the podcast honestly yet. it's I'm one of my top five interests oh man that was so funny <laughs>